Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. Please help by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast if you're watching this on YouTube or BitChute. These are all free and help out a great deal. Word of mouth is how shows like this reach more people who are interested. Another way you can support this podcast is by way of a PayPal tip jar. These podcasts are like articles you would read in a magazine. In those times, writers were paid by the magazine. Readers would pay a small amount to read on topics they were interested in. Now you can get content easily, but people who create it do not get any compensation unless those who like it contribute. You can leave a donation of any amount that you like or set up a monthly donation just like Patreon or Subscribestar. There is a link in the description. I sincerely appreciate your interest and support. In today's podcast, the subject is how strikes are viewed in comparison to throws and joint locks. For the purposes of this podcast, I'm talking about all manner of strikes and not only from an Atemi standpoint. Atemi are strikes which are meant to take someone's balance. Atemi don't have to be strikes per se, but strikes and Atemi are often viewed as synonymous. For this discussion, strikes are also those meant to cause damage. Punches, kicks, knee and elbow strikes, any strike which is meant to cause pain and injury. I've heard countless Aikidoka, including senior instructors, casually claim that strikes are dangerous and Aikido is gentle. They often make this statement with smug superiority, as though they are somehow enlightened because the martial art they do does not cause pain or injury. Granted, not all Aikidoka say things like this, but the belief has spread so far and wide that Aikido is perceived as being gentle and soft. I believe a major factor causing a decline of interest in Aikido is that it has the reputation of being useless for dealing with real violence. That reputation is well earned due to how it is represented and these false beliefs for what it entails. These beliefs have gone so far as to have corrupted how Aikido is trained and practiced. This one belief, that striking is cruel and brutish, and that joint locks and throws are sophisticated and gentle, is what I'm going to address today. If one simplified the description of Aikido down to its technical base, it would be accurate to say that it is an art which specializes in joint locks and throws. These are the primary tools of the Aikidoka. Strikes are a part of Aikido, or were, but they have become a subject of great controversy. Some Aikidoka are staunchly adamant that striking has no place in Aikido whatsoever, despite significant statements by Osensei and his primary students about the importance of a temi. Why does Aikido focus on joint locks and throws and not include striking very much? Let's take a look at each of these tool sets to find possible reasons why. In terms of striking, let's consider that striking is not as damaging as Hollywood would have you believe. Movies and TV have shown us wonderful and dramatic entertainment regarding fighting. The problem is, it's not real. What the eyes see, the mind takes as real, especially when it seems plausible. Fighting in movies is designed to look dramatic, where people get punched or kicked and they appear to get hit so hard that they flip over. The reality is that it takes great skill to hit hard and cause real damage. There are abundant surveillance videos of real fights where people pound away at each other and then when the fight is over, they walk away and only look a little disheveled. Sure, you can get a black eye, a split lip or forehead, or bruised. It is possible to get knocked out, too. Even an untrained attacker can nail the chin and put someone's lights out. This isn't amazing skill. It's that the body's weakness is found. That said, getting hit is no picnic, but it takes some remarkable skill at striking to stop someone from fighting merely by hitting them. This must be appreciated. If you don't understand that, you really need to get into a boxing gym and do some sparring. It's not enough to imagine trying to stop someone from being violent by punching or kicking them. You have to use those tools in a live setting to really understand. 
Kicks are generally more powerful strikes, but they take even greater body discipline to execute. When you kick, you are usually on one foot. Unless you practice kicks diligently, chances are you will not strike with power if you land your kick at all, and it's far more likely you end up on the ground. You probably look and feel like a fool. Strikes can be effective, but they require training to do well enough to end a fight. Sure, you can see Mike Tyson or even bare-knuckle fighters like Kimbo Slice in paid bare-knuckle fights doing real damage. Remember, these are both trained fighters. They do not represent the average. There are street thugs who can strike well out there as well. One example from the original UFC days was Tank Abbott. He was a bar thug who trained by picking fights in nightclubs. You can consider that training. I'm not saying that striking is not damaging at all, but it is merely more difficult to cause injuries or end fights than people tend to think it is. Is this why Aikido doesn't include striking in its curriculum? Perhaps. Some dojos and instructors teach their students about striking, which is a good thing. The more you know about how strikes work, the better you understand them and know how to deal with them. Also, when your training partners know good striking, the better your training against striking will be. One thing to consider for a potential reason why strikes are not a part of Aikido's curriculum, from a standpoint of history that is, is that strikes have almost no effect on someone wearing full armor. It's often said that the heritage of Aikido's background is in the battlefield arts of medieval Japan. There is some dispute about this, but it's fair to say that there was far more hand-to-hand -hand combat between soldiers than between civilians. The techniques used by soldiers would need to accommodate the reality that striking to damage someone would be virtually impossible if they were protected by armor. Throws and joint locks would still be effective, and this was also reflected in the European armored combat, which was very focused on throws and some joint locks as well. Let's address the throws first. Nothing hits as hard as the earth. When you throw someone to the ground, you are using gravity as an ally and their own weight works against them. The added weight of armor only adds to the effectiveness of a throw. Having worn armor myself, I will tell you that hitting the ground wearing it is no picnic. Even with well-fitting armor, there are corners and edges that bite into you upon impact. Your own weight is bad, but the weight of someone else only adds to the misery. You get thrown down, there's an excellent chance you will be stunned for a few moments. Not only that, you usually end up in a pretty bad position. Your mobility is limited and your opponent often has their weight on you. On the medieval battlefield, the next thing that would happen is the one who threw you would draw a dagger and stab you in the neck or through your eye slot. More people have been killed with knives than any other weapon throughout time. Let go of the image of being cut in half with a sword or polearm as you see in the movies. Most warriors were killed on the battlefield by stabs, either with a spear, dagger, or sword. A Roman general even noted that slashing was largely ineffective. He said that a stab of even two inches or so, on the other hand, was often fatal. Back to my original statement. Many modern Aikidoka state that Aikido is a gentle art. It even looks like it when you see practitioners get thrown and they gracefully roll and come up for another pass. Something to note about this. Throws have been altered slightly from their original form. A good throw gives a person being thrown no option to roll out. Throws designed for the battlefield often threw someone down on the top of their head, which has a good chance of breaking their neck. It wouldn't matter if someone was wearing a helmet. A broken neck would end them without needing the dagger. Such throws really cannot be practiced safely, even with modern safety equipment. In order to practice them, leverage and rotation must be altered slightly to give uke a safe out at the end. Some throws cannot be altered to be done safely, and have been removed from training entirely. 
Many of these were removed during the 1800s when martial arts training became more popular among the civilian population and breaking someone's neck was really not a priority. Some practitioners still know these throws, but rarely teach them. That brings me to something Aikido stresses, which is controlling a throw. Sometimes you can control a throw, and sometimes you cannot. The idea that you set up uke to fall, sometimes in a rather remarkable fashion, means that you may not have control over how hard they land. Some throws are big, and you won't be able to slow their descent before they hit the ground. This is especially true if they are flailing and out of control. It is easy to lose the ability to control a throw all the way through when they move in an unpredictable manner. Of course, when we train with experienced partners, they can stay calm enough to be thrown and allow us good control over them. We Aikidoka can get spoiled working with skilled partners who have good ukemi skills. That is, they know how to be thrown and save their bodies from the impact of the ground. Throwing someone without these skills is a whole nother matter. People don't fall gracefully. Those who are not trained in falling tend to be extremely clumsy and can easily get hurt. There were so many broken wrists when rollerblading became popular that hard wrist braces became a common piece of equipment. One might think that they were necessary because of the high speeds involved. Consider this though, if someone is skilled enough on rollerblades that they can go at high speeds, chances are they're not falling very much. It's the beginners who can barely stay on their feet who are doing most of the falling. These are the people who need the safety equipment the most. Just like new Aikido students who we must be very careful with until they learn how to fall and roll safely. Hitting the ground has a high likelihood of causing injury or damage of some kind. Throws are anything but gentle, and we must appreciate that. If you compare throwing someone to the ground to striking them with a punch or kick, the throw will probably end with far greater impact. In a previous episode, I mentioned what is called one-punch deaths. These are not uncommon, and usually go something like this. Someone gets in a fight, usually at a bar, and punches someone, resulting in their death. These things often make the news, and people read in the headline, One Punch Death, and a Bruce Lee-type image comes to mind where the victim was dead before he hit the ground. The myth that you can kill someone by punching their nose cartilage up into their brain has been passed along for years as truth, even among martial artists who should know better. To be fair, how could you know better? Who's ever done it? How could you test it? Anyway, one punch death is not when the victim gets hit, usually in the face. It's when he gets knocked down and hits the floor, the wall, or railing and cracks his skull. The brain damage is almost always what kills him. Being hit with the earth can be lethal. I give credit to those who know, understand, and teach this concept. However, there are many who are woefully unaware and teach that throwing someone is gentle and soft. This is something which the Aikido community really needs to address. Throws are extremely high power strikes. The control over throws is an important issue. One might think that it's easy to control a throw, specifically the impact on the ground at the end of it. Sometimes you can, and it depends largely on the amount of energy that your attacker uses to attack you. A main point my instructors always stressed was the principle of energy in equals energy out. Since Aikido uses the approach of guiding and redirecting your attacker's energy, then it's obvious that if they attack you with a high level of energy, then that energy is what gets redirected to the floor. There are circumstances where you can influence their speed and velocity and slow down their impact. Even relatively slow impacts with the ground with full weight can still cause pain and injury. Consider that a full weight of a human being falling can be very hard to control. Being close and in good position might not be enough to remove enough momentum and lessen the effects of gravity on their body. 
The greatest influence on how hard someone hits the ground will be their initial velocity and energy, and that's really up to them. I think that is why many Aikidoka tend to practice with lower attack intensity in general, because they know that the more heat they put on their attacks, the harder their impact will be. Not to say every rep needs to be 100 miles per hour, but you do need to throw in a few at full intensity to let Naga get used to high intensity attacks. Too much of this and the body will pay the price over time. I also want to address joint locks, because this is another aspect modern Aikidoka tend to misunderstand a bit. Joint locks, as used by modern Aikido, are controls. Their application is to control the skeleton in order to stop an attack and neutralize Uke's body. Usually this results in an immobilizing pin, either standing or on the ground or wall. Going back to history, controlling the body was by far a rougher affair. It was not elegant and graceful as many modern Aikidoka attempt to practice it. Joint locks were originally designed as destructions. They did not stop at locking the joint or the joints themselves, but instead exploited the joint's weaknesses to break them. A good example is the application of Aikido's Ikkyo, or armbar, compared to karate's hard block where the wrist is blocked from the inside while the other forearm smashes the outside of the elbow. Same leverage points. Actually, when you compare these techniques, Aikido's Gokyu is a closer comparison. Still the same leverage, though. If you performed an Ikkyo with the same intent as the karate technique, you would find it fairly easy to hyperextend or break the elbow. It's really all about the leverage. The application is what you decide to do with that leverage. Going back to pre-1800s, there was really no reason to go easy on battlefield opponents and save their joints. You could not only get your opponents down, but he would have a broken elbow too. Bonus! The more problems your opponent has protecting himself, perhaps by having an arm he cannot use effectively, the easier your job of killing him will be. Mr. Dagger, meet Mr. I. Joint locks evolved, just as throws did, to be more benign so that they could be trained with relative safety. Like throws, joint locks had a chance of working against people in armor, at least in Japanese armor, which was not articulated like a great deal of European plate armor was. I think this is one reason that throws were a bit more prominent in European battlefield arts than joint locks were. They still existed, but the real value was in crashing into an opponent, throwing him down, and letting Mr. Dagger finish it. Strikes are valuable and useful tools, and should not be overlooked by Aikidoka. Even if you choose not to use them, you should definitely be good at them because it provides you far better understanding of them and how to deal with them. Being able to strike well will make you a very valuable training partner and a much more well-rounded martial artist. Having a full understanding of the role of throws and joint locks and a bit of their history is also good to have. What do you think? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube, or go to the Facebook group Aikido the Martial Side and post a comment. The Spirit Aikido online program is now live. Subscribers get access to video training and mentoring to techniques and training methods that I've adopted from other martial arts to make my Aikido more practical. There's a link in the description section. I invite you to check it out. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.